Hello, podcast world. This is Brian Sorgenfry, the RUF campus minister here at Ole Miss. I want to thank you for listening in to RUF on Wednesday nights here on campus. I have realized that many of you who listen in are alumni of Ole Miss, parents, students, are just people who love what Jesus is doing through RUF, are my mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad. <laughs> I wanted to take a second and ask if you would consider doing two things. First, would you consider supporting the work of RUF here? Uh, we exist on the campus to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve, and it is only because of the generosity of individuals all over the country. If that interests you, would you consider supporting us with a one-time donation or monthly? You can do that easily by going to our website, ruf.org slash Ole Miss, ruf.org slash Ole Miss. Secondly, would you consider praying for us? We know that nothing happens unless the Holy Spirit is at work, and we're thankful uh, for people who regularly pray for us. Anyway, thanks for giving me the time. We've never done this before and won't do it frequently. The podcast is and always will remain free. We're just delighted people choose to listen in. We pray Jesus uses it. Now back to RUF. This is the last one of the fall semester. Thanks for listening. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you, were old, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you, and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show, that what, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written, about, written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Welcome to the last RUF of the semester. Uh, It has been awesome getting to know y'all. 
and even some uh, some of my Mississippi State peeps are here tonight. So you got to welcome Mississippi State people tonight. So it's fun to have them. All right, we are uh, we are ending our reading and thinking about the Gospel of John, where we have investigated John's claim that he has picked these stories. So as you read them, and if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you may have life, real life. And we reach the end of John tonight, and, and John is not going to let his gospel end without letting us in on this conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Because it's in this conversation with Peter that, that Peter begins to believe that Jesus actually brings life to failures, to real failures. Because the account that Sarah just read is asking us to consider Peter's failure with Jesus and therefore our failures before Jesus. And when I say failure, yes, I know run-of-the-mill-like things that, that people are willing to talk about. But I'm talking about those things in your life that you have deep, deep regret over. Like the night that you've tried to forget about. Uh, the relationship that you really ruined, the things that you think through and are like, man, if I could take it back, I would. It's those places that when we reflect on our life, we think there is no way, no way that Jesus can work in and through that. It's too shameful. It's too bad. And John is going to say, oh yeah, consider Peter, consider Jesus. And you might find that Jesus is better than you think. So let me, let me pray. Lord, it is, it is hard to believe um, that you really did come for failures. Uh, people who can't get their life together. Uh, people who uh, know that they are not worthy of the love of God. And yet that's who you are. And so would you speak through your word tonight? Would you convince us of the good news of Jesus? Uh, that your grace is greater than our failure, and that somehow you're so good that you then use our failure uh, to bring us closer to yourself. That would be uh, amazing if you convince us of that tonight. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right. Two things about our failures in Jesus. And big thanks to my friend Matt Howell. He's another RF Camps minister. So much is actually pulling, pulled from him. All right. Just two things. Jesus' response to our failures. And second of all, how Jesus uses our failures. First... Jesus' response to our failures. First thing we gotta, we got to get to kind of understand this passage and this interaction and why Jesus singles out Peter for this conversation is we got to turn the clock back chronologically about a week or two to, to Jesus interacting with his closest friends, his disciples, the night before he's actually arrested. This actually takes place in John 18. And Jesus is telling his disciples... That all of them are going to leave him. All of them are going to forsake him and abandon him when he needs them most. And Peter, Peter closest, one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter speaks up and says, uh-uh. They may all leave you. They all may be ashamed of you, Jesus, but not me. I won't do it. I will stay with you till the end. And Jesus looks at Peter so lovingly and says, Peter... Before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me three times. And as the night progresses, Jesus is arrested. Jesus is put on trial. He's falsely accused. He's beaten. He's tortured. And all of his disciples scatter in fear. Peter, though, I guess we can give him some credit. He, he ends up following Jesus from afar. 
And he ends up in the courtyard by the, the house of the high priest where Jesus is on trial. And so he's following from afar and it's cold outside. So he comes around a charcoal fire, which is significant. It's going to come up again. And he just tries to blend in, trying to watch what's going on. And it's there around the charcoal fire that three times he gets asked, Hey, aren't you one of those Jesus followers? Don't you know him? And emphatically, emphatically three times, even one time Peter calls down curses on himself and says, I don't know the man. And after the third time, the rooster crows and Peter breaks. And he runs away weeping in guilt and shame because Peter is and became the very person that he thought he would never be. Ashamed of Jesus, wanting nothing to do with him. And then Jesus dies, and three days later he's resurrected, and verse 14 reminds us this is actually not Jesus' first time to appear to the disciples. It's his third time, but here's the deal. The big elephant in the room that everybody knows about, which is Peter's three-time denial, it's never been addressed. And so Jesus says it's time. And he singles out Peter, and he basically says, it's time to talk about it. Now, I want you to really consider this. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. If I told you that Jesus wanted to talk to you about your, one of your biggest failures, the things in your life that you really do wish you'd never done, and you've tried to forget about them, and, and you heard Jesus wants to talk to you about that, what would your reaction be? What would your reaction be if you heard Jesus wants to talk to you about your dark fantasies? Or Jesus wants to talk to you about the first night that you actually took off your clothes with somebody? Or Jesus wants to talk to you about the way that you treated that person or the way that you've been lying to people around yourself? What would you think? i tell you what I would think. I would think what I thought when things, when I was growing up, I got a little too out of control. And my mom uh, desperately would finally say, I'm just going to have to call your dad, and we're just going to have to wait for him to come home, and then you'll talk about it. And if you, ever had, if you ever had that moment, those next four hours are like the longest hours of your life, because you know what's coming. It's going to be misery. But what does Jesus do? It really is amazing. He recreates the scene of Peter's failure. I want you to see this. First of all, there is a charcoal fire that Jesus makes. It's not a wood fire, it's a charcoal fire, which has a very distinct smell. You know the only other time that you read about a charcoal fire in the the Gospel of John? John 18, when Peter is gathered around the charcoal fire, watching Jesus, and he denies him three times. Think about it. Here's Peter looking at Jesus, the distinctive smell of charcoal again. You know he's got to be thinking as his memory is triggered. Oh man, here it is. Then what's next? The time of day. It's at the break of dawn. It actually told us that back in verse 4. We didn't read it. The crack of dawn. When When does Peter deny Jesus three times? Right before the rooster crows. When does the rooster crow? Crack of dawn. Same time, same kind of fire. And then lastly, we have the conversation itself. Jesus asked Peter this question, Simon, do you love me more than these? In other words, Peter, you claim that these other disciples would leave me, but not you, that you love me more than these disciples love me. Are you still really confident that you you love me more than these? 
Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then a second time, and then a third time Jesus asks him. And it's the third time, right? Peter breaks. He says it grieves him. Wow. Because he's remembering. He was remembering he denied Jesus three times. Charcoal fire, same time of day. Jesus bringing back up Peter's claim and asking him three times. Jesus is purposely recreating Peter's biggest point of failure. And Peter just begins to weep. Because he's forced to remember the thing that he has tried so hard to forget. Now, why is Jesus doing that? Is he shaming and humiliating Peter in front of his disciples? You know, guilt manipulating him? Psychological abuse? No. Those are Satan's tools. Jesus doesn't shame you. Jesus doesn't guilt manipulate you. Jesus is actually loving and caring for Peter right here. Because what he's doing, instead of shaming him and pushing him away, he is caring for him, healing him, and restoring him. That's what he's doing. Because Jesus is looking at Peter and he's saying this, Peter, I know this sounds too good to be true, but the way forward is not to hide what you've done. It's not to forget about it. The way forward is to face your failure, to remember it, but then overlay that memory with me and my grace for you and my forgiveness of you. Peter, Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm not here to yell at you. I'm not here to scold you. I'm making breakfast for you. I like want to be with you. And your failures, far from pushing me away, are the very reason that I came. It's why I came and died. And so Jesus is making Peter remember his biggest point of failure so that Peter will believe what we all struggle to believe. That Jesus loves failures. And he only loves failures. Because that's all that exists. But Peter believed, just like we all believe, that the way forward is to try to ignore my failures, to minimize them, to act like they don't exist. Because what Peter thought was this. Jesus loves, and if if you're familiar with Peter in the Gospels, you'll know this is true. Peter is convinced that Jesus loves Peter the courageous, uh, Peter the strong, Peter the passionate. And Jesus is saying, no, Peter. What you need to know, Peter, is that Jesus loves Peter the weak, Peter the coward, Peter the sinful. That's the Peter that Jesus loves. So, this is all I know how to explain uh, the love of Jesus actually works. All of us, all of us to some extent, I think even if you're not a Christian and you're here trying to figure out, you have... An ideal self, an imagined self of who you should be, okay? And it is a compilation of things in your past that you wish that you hadn't done. And then you imagine what you should be like in the future. And you're like, that's me. That's who I should be, okay? Here's what it looks like for me. If I ever reflect on myself, it's usually a Friday afternoon after the week has come to an end, okay? And here's what I do. I begin reflecting on my week. And maybe I'm weird, but I, I just start thinking of, I start, I start remembering my failures. I start thinking about 
a conversation I had with one of you where I didn't really love you very well. And I didn't tell you the truth like I should have. And instead, I just wanted you to like me. I just hate that. And now think through, you know, the, the times when I was at home and my kids were trying to get my attention over and over again. And I was just like glued to this iPhone reading some probably pointless article about the NCAA investigation, hoping upon hope that we're going to get out of this, you know. And, and I ignore my kids and I think about that. And I think about the ways that like I, I should have cared for Liza better. And then I think about how, you know, I wish I hadn't have prepared as last minute for, for, for teaching on Wednesday night. Like there are a lot of things I could have said better, you know. And I, and I walk through all this kind of stuff. And as I reflect, I think, gosh, okay, I did it again. But next week's going to be different. Next week's going to be different. Because next week, I'm going to wake up early three days and actually pray and really think about it. And then my mind's not going to wander. And tomorrow's Saturday. So I'm going to wake up and all day I'm going to be with my kids, never distracted, give them my full attention. And we'll play and we'll laugh. And, and the picture I have in my desk will we'll, we'll end on Saturday. We'll, you know, we'll all be on the couch watching some movie. You know, they're all cuddled up with me. We're laughing. And they'll tell me how much they love me. You know, that, that's the picture I have in my head. And then, you know, next week I'm going to have these great meetings with students. And we'll talk about the gospel. And I'll think of some ways to really care about Liza. And that's how I kind of appease myself on Friday. That's what it's going to look like. That is the ideal bronze organ fry. That's what I'm convinced I'm supposed to look like. You know what the problem with that is? I've never had that week in my life. Ever. Instead what happens is I wake up on the Saturday saying I'm going to spend it with my kids. And by 9.15, I've already yelled at one of them because they interrupted me while I was trying to read the internet again. And then we decided to play a board game, you know, to really enjoy each other. And within 15 minutes, everybody's screaming at each other. Everybody's fighting. And I just leave because <laughs> i got to go on a run to, like, to, to get the stress out. And then I overslept on Monday and I forgot to pray. And I'm praying on the way to, to you know, the school. And then... I, and it's Wednesday night again. I didn't prepare like I should have. And that's what my week looks like. But look, beginning to walk with Jesus and to see that Jesus is the one who brings real life to failures is to see this. Jesus does not love and he does not forgive the ideal Brian. You know why? That Brian doesn't exist. It never has. Jesus loves and forgives and delights in the real Brian, this one, the one who struggles to pray, the one who yelled at his kids, because that's the only one that exists. And see, what Jesus is doing with Peter is what is necessary for all of us. He's saying, Peter, you have to receive and you have to live in the reality of grace. Jesus doesn't love the best idea of the version of the self that you think you should be which is absent of the things that you wish that you haven't done and the imagined future that you think that you're going to be. Jesus loves the real you. And his love for Peter and his love for us makes us apply Jesus' love and forgiving grace to specific failures. And some of you have never done this. You struggle with things. You've done things that you've buried so deep in your effort to forget them. Because it's the only way that you know how to function. 
Just forget about it and move on or act like it doesn't affect you, which also doesn't work. But I'm telling you, Jesus doesn't want you to just bury those memories and forget about them. He wants you to face them. Not to shame you, not to push you away, but so that you can plunge them into his forgiveness. So that you can plunge them into his grace. And as those failures are overlaid with his mercy and with his love, it changes you. And you begin to realize that your failures are the, are the very thing that Jesus uses to convince you of what is always true. That he doesn't love you because of your performance. He loves you by sheer grace. And so repentance and faith looks like going back to those things that you're convinced keeps you from Jesus and keeps you from people and you begin to use your imagination and you bring it to Jesus. You bring it before the eyes of Jesus who love you, who loves you and makes breakfast for you and wants to be with you. And you will find this, that that abortion that you had, that decision that you wish that you hadn't made and you tried to forget, he forgives it and he overlays it with his mercy. That night that you hate thinking about, the friendship that you, 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 you ruined, and you've tried to forget about it, don't forget about it. Not so it'll send you into the spiral of guilt and shame, so that you can bring it before Jesus and experience His grace, His cleansing smile, and believe that He loves and adores the real you. So yeah, Jesus is saying, Peter, let's talk about your sin. He's telling us, let's talk about our failures, but talk about it in front of a crucified and resurrected Savior who is eating with you and who loves you. That's what's amazing. Because what it means is that Jesus even uses our failure to keep us repenting of our own self-sufficiency. Because all of us, All of us have an instinct to trust in our own performance, to make God like me. But Jesus says, no, that's not who I am. Do not trust in your own works. Look at your failures and live by my grace because it's all we ever had. This is how Jesus responds to failure. He meets us in it and he offers forgiveness and he uses our failures to show us what has always been true, that he is for us. And he loves us. And our love for Jesus may waver, but his love for us never does. And through our past and through our present failure, we more and more embrace the amazing unmerited love of Jesus. That's how it works. It's unbelievable. So that's Jesus' response. He is for us and he loves us in our failure and that enables us to repent and to trust him. You will never repent until you believe that Jesus is for you, ever. Because you won't trust him. Then how does Jesus use our failures? Consider, again, the irony of what Jesus keeps telling Peter. Jesus makes Peter face his failure. In other words, he's saying, Peter, consider your inadequate love of me. Consider your inadequate love of Jesus. And then every time that Peter says, okay, but I do love you, Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. In other words, Jesus' instruction to Peter the failure is, go love my people. 
Go take care of my people. Go do ministry, Peter. And so the conversation is kind of like this. This is why it's so ironic. Peter, you remember how you failed me? Yes, Jesus, I'm a failure. Great. Now you're in charge. Now you're ready to do ministry. Now you're ready to love people. Peter, you failed. Now I want you to be a leader in the church. That's crazy. Right? If you're, if you're used to the story, you don't understand how bizarre it is. Like, imagine, like, there's no other relationship or organization you're a part of that works like this. Imagine that, you know, whatever. You, you do something that calls you become, to come before standards of sorority, right? And you're standing there before standards, and basically they tell you, well, you really embarrassed us. You shouldn't have done this. So we're going to ask you to be president next semester. Yeah. What? But that's what he's doing. It seems crazy. But that's the, the logic of every other religion and every other organization in the world is pretty much this. If you will believe enough, if you'll be devoted enough, if you'll be good enough, if you'll serve enough, if you'll make the fewest amount of mistakes possible, that might qualify you for a promotion and to move your, move your way up. So the way to move up, cover your failures, never make mistakes. Work hard enough, make the right connections. But with Jesus, everything gets flipped upside down. It is your failure that qualifies you for ministry. It is your recognition of your own sin and your own unworthiness that is the very thing that Jesus uses to propel you into leadership, into loving people well. Jesus doesn't use you in people's lives despite your sin and failure. He loves you in people's lives through your sin and failure and through your weakness. And I'm not making light of sin at all. It's awful. It hurts Jesus. It hurts people. But he's so good that he uses it. Right? Imagine, imagine the scenario of Jesus, I mean, of Peter's denial of Jesus three times. And imagine if... If instead of Peter denying Jesus, it went something like this, right? Peter's sitting by the fire that night and that girl looks at Peter and says, Hey, aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And, and what, if, what if Peter said, Yes, I am. And I stand with him no matter what. And he gets beaten and he gets taken down, you know, and he's tortured a little bit and then he's let go. What if he never faced what was actually in his heart and he never tasted the bitterness and shame of his own mistakes and what's in here? And then he went out and tried to lead people to Jesus. You know what it would look like? His tone would be this. I did it. I was strong for Jesus. Maybe he'll say Jesus helped me, but mainly I did it. In other words, I don't need Jesus like y'all do. And then he would say, y'all are weak, y'all are cowards, get it together and follow Jesus. That would be the feel of it. And that's probably why some of you tonight are irritated with some Christians you've interacted with. And I'm one of them. Because you've, you've experienced hypocrisy in Christianity because you've experienced a Christian who is arrogant and self-sufficient and full of themselves and they lob advice at you. 
without actually caring about you and loving you because they just think they're better than you. But if you know Jesus through your own failure, which is actually the only way to know him, then what you give people is not yourself. You give people the hope of Jesus and his grace. It's all about him because it's all I have to do. And so there becomes this sense of we. We have failed. And Jesus loves failures. Come and find out. I know the bitter taste of failure. I know the emptiness of sin. Not just a long time ago. I know it this week. And Jesus is the beautiful Savior of failures. And Jesus begins to use our failures to bring about His kingdom. It's amazing. I heard a story recently... um, I actually wondered if I should tell it, but I'm going to tell it, all right? I just hope you don't take this the wrong way. It was, a guy, it was about a guy named Nick, and Nick had been converted out of a, uh, out of a pretty, pretty rough lifestyle. He knew Jesus' love. He knew that Jesus loves failures. And some period of time later, uh, he became friends with a guy named Evan. And Evan was involved in some of the same rough stuff that he was involved with, and so... Nick kept building a friendship with Evan, kept loving him. Every once in a while, Nick would try to share the gospel with him, and Evan, you know, did not care. Evan just kind of brushed it off. And finally, one night, they were hanging out, and they were both tired. They were both exhausted. And honestly, Nick was, he was just frustrated he couldn't get through to Evan. And so frustrated was he in a moment of foolishness, and I emphasize this as foolishness, okay? But it was a weary moment He just looked at the weed that Evan was smoking and he said, can I have some? And he rolls a joint and he takes a hit. And at that moment, Evan looks at him and says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You actually know what you're doing. In other words, you really are like me. He watched him roll a joint and realized this wasn't your first time to do this. And he said, tell me about Jesus. You really were and are like me. And Jesus changed you. Tell me about it. Now, that's a bad evangelism tactic. Okay? (laughs) There's nothing about what he did that I'm saying, go do that, okay? That was foolish. It was wrong. And Jesus used it. He used his failure to bring it about. This is who Jesus is. Our failures, even though they're not good and they're not wanted, they're the very things that Jesus uses to help us understand how deep his love is for us. And and he takes our failures and turns them around and uses them for good to help us love people and be a part of the ministry that he's doing in this broken and sinful world. And look, if that joint story is too crazy and makes you uncomfortable, I don't know. But... Consider this. Think about what's happening tonight. We are 2,000 years after Peter's failure. 2,000 years. And some of you tonight, for the first time, are daring to trust Jesus with yourself, with your failures. Others of you are being encouraged right now to keep following Jesus even though you're struggling. Why? Because Jesus is feeding you right now through Peter's failure. Which is exactly what Jesus said he would do. And we're 2,000 years later. That's incredible. What a Savior. So, I'll just kind of, I'll bring our semester to a close like this. Look, um, if you've ever seen the movie, uh, it's an old Robin Williams movie. It's called The Fisher King. It's actually really good. 
I think I can recommend it. I think. Um, anyway, Rob Williams, he plays this uh, homeless, poor, kind of mentally unstable person. And throughout the be- kind of the beginning of the movie, what you realize... This is going to sound really creepy. It's not as creepy as it sounds, I promise. Um, throughout the first half of the movie, he just... He keeps watching this, this young lady. Like he's fat. He adores her. And so every day, he, he knows her pattern. He knows when she's going to get to work. He watches her go to you know, work. He knows when she's going to leave work. I know that sounds creepy, like he's a stalker. But he, he just adores her. And finally, about towards, you know, halfway through the movie, he gets up just kind of the nerve through some circumstances to ask her out. And he does. And she, throughout the movie, you realize she lacks a lot of confidence. She actually, she, she's bitter towards men for some, some rightful reasons. And so they get on their date, and, and they actually have a really good time. And, and Robin Williams is walking her back to her house, and they stop in front of, uh, front of the front door. And all of a sudden, the expression on her, her face changes, and she kind of gets cold. And she says, here we go, and I'm going to quote, This is what will happen. You'll come into the house, and you're going to have a couple drinks with me. You'll sleep over. I'll wake up in the morning, but you'll be distant. You won't stay for breakfast. I'm going to go to work feeling so good, but you aren't going to call. I'm going to begin a slow descent to where I become nothing more than a small piece of dirt. And I don't really want to do that again. I don't even know why I'm putting myself through this again. And she rehashes the way that guys have treated her again and again. And she says, that's what you're going to do to me. And at that point... In kind of the way that only Robin Williams can, you see this pained look come on Robin's face. This look of confusion and hurt. And here's what he says. He said, I don't want to come in. I'm not interested in coming up for a night, a one-night stand. I have a confession for you. I'm in love with you. I want to love you forever. And he says this. Listen, I already know you. I know that you hate your job. I know you don't have many friends. I know that it takes you two tries to get out of your car every afternoon at lunch. I know that you feel awkward and uncoordinated and you don't feel like you're beautiful. I know what you eat for lunch, that you grab a jawbreaker before you go back to the office every day. I know the path you take home. I already know you and I love you. And I think you're the greatest thing. And she stares at him. And she, and she takes him by the face and she kisses him and she says, you're real, aren't you? And look, I realize that... That scenario would be creepy in some ways if it happened today. Like, but, but go with the metaphor. What she found was somebody that already knew everything that she was insecure about. And he said, I love you. I think you're great. And what John 21 just showed us, actually the whole gospel of John, here's what's been holding out all semester, that this is who Jesus is. That all the failures in your life, All the stuff that you're ashamed of. All the stuff that you're embarrassed about. Everything that you're insecure about. All the stuff that makes us feel dirty and worthless. We think all that stuff pushes Jesus away. But Jesus, the crucified and risen King, says, I know all that stuff. I knew you were going to do it even before you did. And I love you. And I think you're amazing. It's the reason that I came and lived and died. So that I could be with you. And that begins to change our places of failure and shame, our charcoal fires, into places of feasting and joy. Breakfast with Jesus. That's the good news of Jesus. Is it happening tonight? Are you beginning to see that because of your sin and failure, not apart from it, but because of it, 
Jesus is all the more beautiful and glorious. If you're beginning to see that, you're believing. It's who Jesus is. What a Savior. What a Savior. And if that's who Jesus is, then maybe it's true that the way that John ends his gospel is, there were also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. What an awesome ending. Sounds like a guy who just can't get over the rich mercy and love of Jesus. That's the promise of the gospel. Jesus brings real love and forgiveness to failures. And then he's so good, he uses your failures to bring about something beautiful. Will you do it? Will you bring your failures and regrets to Jesus tonight for the first time or for the thousandth time? You can trust him. He's good. It's an invitation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, I just thank you for John 21, that John chose to record by your Holy Spirit this conversation that Jesus asks, uh, that Jesus has with Peter amidst his biggest failure. Because it helps us to believe that you're a God who came for failures, that you're a God who takes away shame and takes away sin so that you can be with us. And so would you, would you do that tonight? And would you also use our, our weak efforts to love this campus well so that your kingdom of grace and love and holiness will keep coming? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.